All right, all right. Grab your seats. Welcome to New Life Friday night. Before we get started, we have to celebrate because any of you who were here last weekend understand why we need to celebrate. At Friday night, we ended up baptizing 34 people here last Friday night. Incredible stories. Incredible stories. Uh, and at all of our eight congregations last weekend, we had a record. It was, it was, we were like, are we sure we're doing the math again? 362 people got baptized last weekend at New Life Church. It's just out of this world. Fun story, fun story. Uh, Manitou Springs, they baptized four people and they, have, they, they rent a kind of older building down there and the floors aren't great. We can't get any water on the floor, so they baptize outside, okay? It was pretty chilly last week. And so, you know, kind of identifying with the developing world, you know, the believers in the developing world, like we're getting baptized outside in like 90 degree water, but we got baptized outside. And there, you know, four people, it was beautiful. Grandmas were crying and it was just special time. And, and Pastor Joe was done and he was finishing up. And this guy in the back goes, hold up, hold up. We ain't done yet. And rips his shirt off. And he said, I'm not getting baptized in that water. We're going down to the creek. And they walked down to the creek, which is all mountain runoff, like just freezing cold. Joe got, he had one of those uh, temperature gauges and he shot the water. It was 35 degrees. So the guy toked out his cigarette, ripped off his shirt, got down in the creek. And a guy who is at the Air Force Academy, a student at the Air Force Academy, that's been doing Wim Hof like cold baths every morning goes, I got this. And he got in the creek with him and baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the guy came up, you know, it was just too sweet. So as I said last week, turn off cable news. Don't listen to the world's going to the hell in the handbasket. The kingdom of God is coming. The will of God is being done. And last weekend was a testimony. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn toward the very back of the book. We're starting a new series tonight going through the book of 1 John. And it's a beautiful book. And we're going to take the next five or six or seven weeks and just journey through 1 John. So if you, if you want to read it with us over the next two months, that would be a great discipline that we all kind of steep ourselves in these scriptures and we show up here on Fridays ready to study them. So what I'll do is I'll read the first uh, five verses of 1 John 1 and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord from John the elder. He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word. Now, capital W, who's he talking about? Jesus. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and we testify to it. We proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was from the Father, with the Father, and has appeared to us. And he goes on to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship or koinonia with us. And our fellowship, the koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we write this to make your joy complete and our joy complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. 
This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. Lord, come be our light tonight. There is so much darkness that is so close. And we need you to dispel it tonight. There's so much confusion. And we need you to illuminate us tonight. There is so much fear. And we need you to still us tonight. Over you, congregation, I say, peace be still. Receive the peace of God tonight. And so, King Jesus, we say, walk these aisles. Have all authority and dominion in this place. It's yours. Have all authority and dominion with our lives. Walk our hearts tonight, Jesus. Knock on the door and come in and make yourself at home. Make us your people, we pray. We pray, Lord, that you would speak. Your servants are listening. We pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Amen. This book does something to me. Uh, my friend Tara told me before the service that it's her favorite book, First John. It's, it's a powerful little punchy book here. And I remember being a child and some of these scriptures, my parents helping me memorize them and if you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I, I'm a 10-year-old when I hear that. Gets in my being and this text tonight is something that we need to take on board in our lives. Now, a bit of context with this new series. What's going on in 1 John? Who, who wrote this book? It's, it's written by John the Elder. So it's not John the brother of James, the son of Zebedee, John the beloved disciple who laid on Jesus' shoulder at the, the Last Supper. Not John, you know, uh, who, who was sort of Jesus' favorite, right? It's a different John. A disciple, John the elder, and he was an eyewitness of the resurrection. He was there. So it's not that John, but it's this John the elder. And, and now he is much older. So he's not just the elder of the church's in Asia Minor, not just the overseer, but now he's just like gray and getting ready to enter his rest. He's an old man. He's lived. And this, this John the Elder writes to us, and what we know of him is he was in that tight-knit community of the first followers of Jesus. He was in those raucous crowds walking through the dusty roads of Palestine. He must have been there when Jesus came to the pool of Bethesda and saw the man who'd been crippled for 38 years, and he says, take up your mat and walk. He must have been there. I mean, you don't, all these years later, stay following Jesus if Jesus didn't grip your heart. And this man's heart had been gripped because he was a follower of Jesus, a, a close friend of Jesus. And he wrote from Ephesus, Turkey. So, so Jerusalem, if you can imagine the Mediterranean Sea here. The, let, me, let me do it here for you, right? Mediterranean Sea, here's Jerusalem, here's Lebanon. It kind of goes up around. And so Ephesus, Turkey's here. Here's Greece. Here's the boot of Italy. Here's Rome, you know? So like he's over here. He's 1,100 miles away from Jerusalem by now. And he's overseeing these churches who are followers of Jesus and, and he wants to write to them and say a, a few very important things. What does he say tonight in the first chapter of 1 John? I wanna put three things in front of you, three sections of this first chapter that I think are worth paying attention to tonight. Section number one, he talks about the person of Christ. 
the person of Christ. Now, he says, that which was from the beginning. Now, immediately, these, these people who would have heard this text, they would have had Genesis 1 firing off. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void. They also would have had John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and there was nothing that was made that was not made without him, right? So, so Genesis 1 and John 1, and here he is in 1 John chapter 1, and he says that which was from the beginning. He's, he's, he's wanting to take us back to the elemental story, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim. He, he, you hear the tactile language? the physicality here of Jesus, the actual person, the God who moved in. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He he walked the streets. He lived with them. He dined with them. He prayed with them. He took naps on the boat. He was catching fish and cutting them up on the shore. Like this wasn't some little floating apparition, some spirit force that was hovering over sort of the ether of the region. No, this is Jesus, the person that we touched, that we saw, that we heard, that we walked with. We watched him raise that man up from the pool of Bethesda. Like Jesus is the man. (laughs) He's the real man. He's the real God who moved in among us. The churches of Asia Minor were going through a crisis. Why does John take all these pains to talk about Jesus, the actual physical man that they all saw and touched and heard and listened to and walked with? Why talk about the personhood of Jesus? What was the crisis that was going on? It was a crisis of false teachers who were infiltrating their ranks, lying to them about Jesus. Leading people astray. They were no longer acknowledging Jesus as Israel's Messiah or the Son of God. And John, in his next letter, you turn to the, just a couple pages over to the book of 2 John. It's really just one chapter. 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess, what? The coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Many deceivers have gone out into the world and they're going around lying to people about this man, Jesus. They can't say that Jesus wasn't an actual figure. That whole region, the whole world got taken over by the acclaim and the fame and the the beauty of Jesus. So they they weren't able to say Jesus wasn't real. So what they had to do was deny the humanity of Jesus. Ah, he's just kind of a a God who appeared for a second and then floated off into the heavens. And the deceivers were trying to say that Jesus wasn't really in the flesh. And John, in 2 John 7 says, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Well, stakes are high about the humanity of Jesus. Anyone who denies the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, he says, you're going right at the heart of who Christ is. You're a deceiver and you're, you're cooperating with the Antichrist. Quit that mess. This book was written anywhere between 95 AD and 110 AD. So you do the math. If Jesus, if Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, roughly 33-ish, 35, whatever. If that's when Jesus sort of disappeared to his heavenly throne then he's writing this book 60 to 75 years later. So most of the people who were eyewitnesses were dead. And 
That happened 1,100 miles away down in Jerusalem. We're up here in Ephesus, Turkey. This isn't, this isn't the land of the people of God. This is the, the nations. This is wildness out here. Do you know what they're worshiping in Ephesus at the Temple of Diana? Highly sexualized society. So it's chronologically far away from Jesus' resurrection and ascension, 60 to 75 years, and it's also geographically far away from the resurrection of Jesus. So most people who had been eyewitnesses were dead. And remember, this isn't Jerusalem. A new generation was springing up who weren't there and they didn't know the story of Jesus. And these deceivers wanted to take advantage of that because if they could displace Jesus from the people's worship, then they could be the people's worship and their money would come with them. You see the stakes? You see why the deceivers had a great uh, incentive to dislocate Jesus? Oh, he's not the son of God. He's just kind of a momentary figure. Kind of, uh, and he's not even here anymore. You need to worship how we tell you and bring your money with you. The deceivers are trying to lead you away from Jesus. It sounds really current. Jesus, yeah, this guy, nice teacher, Ooh. Yeah, Buddha and uh, all these, yeah, you know, Krishna and all this stuff. No, but Jesus, he's one of the pantheon of great teachers in the past. And he's, worship at my throne and bring your money with you. This isn't some ancient problem. This is a very current text. The deceivers were saying Jesus was an apparition. He was a faded memory of a long weekend party. A temporary spiritual trance just showed up. A supposed Messiah's mushroom whose hallucinogenic high was worn off and Jesus wasn't real. And he, at worst, he was a crazy rogue rabbi, rightly forgotten by history. At best, he was a false teacher and, and, and a faded hope. Jesus is not a part of the story. And John says, that which was from the beginning which we have seen with our eyes and we have heard with our ears and we touched him with our hands and we watched him. We watched him hang on a Friday night and we watched him walk the streets on Sunday morning. Jesus, who was from the beginning, he is still God and he came among us. He is the person of God among us. John wants to go to war about this Jesus person. It matters. Makes sense why Jesus John deals with the physicality of Jesus because he's saying God is the real God who was here with us. Don't ever forget about the person of Jesus. That's section one in this text. Section two in this text is the work of Christ. So the first section is the person of Christ. But now what is Jesus here to do? What is Jesus up to? What, what is his ministry all about? What is his spirit at work doing in the earth? What, what is Jesus about? I'll say a couple things about Jesus' ministry. The first is, the work of Christ is to live the life of the kingdom in front of us. The work of Jesus, when he came, born of the virgin, when, when, when he walked the streets and the crowds gathered and they paid attention, this one teaches as one who has authority and not like our teachers. Jesus is this thing. What was Jesus doing? He came to live the life of the kingdom in front of us. And John says this in verse five. This is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. John wants us to ask, how does Jesus use his words? 
How does Jesus deal with his enemies? What is this book for? We read these stories of Jesus and how does Jesus relate to the brokenhearted? How does Jesus take care of the poor? How does Jesus confront the powerful that are crushing the poor? How does Jesus pray? And how does Jesus live in communion with his father? And how does Jesus resist the devil? Like we've got this really thick book of stories and especially these four gospels talking about Jesus Christ. And John wants us to know that Jesus came to live the life of the kingdom in front of us. God is light. Have you ever been around someone that was light? Carla Willis, Lisa, I was thinking about Carla. Every time, Colonel Colin Willis here at the church, they're in their mid to later 60s and he was in the military for 30 years, served faithfully. They moved all over the world as a family. They've just, everything they've touched has prospered. Carla is clean. When you're with her, she's got this just like jet white hair. She's elegant. She's gracious. Gracious. She'll come and kiss you on the cheek and say, honey, I was praying for you this morning. And that isn't like Christianese. She was literally praying for you this morning. Every time I'm with her, like, I, I just, like, I could cry talking about her because she's light. She's been one who's followed Jesus and she lives in the presence of Jesus and she's got an art room downstairs in her basement and she's got a little prayer room over here and she wakes up in the morning and she just comes into the presence of Jesus and opens the scriptures and in him was light and in him there was no darkness at all. God, would you make me clean? Would you make me holy? Would you make me pure? Would you make me beautiful with your presence? Would you help me to just radiate the love everywhere I go today? And she walks out of that house and it's like, A close disciple of Jesus just walks right into the room. Have you ever been around someone like that? Imagine what Jesus is like. If someone who worships him can become that infectious with his glory and that kind with his grace and tenderness and kindness and compassion, like imagine like we are so diluted in the way we express Jesus to the world. Imagine Jesus. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all there's no shadiness there is no slipperiness there is no hiding there is no perversion there is no manipulation can you imagine being around someone that never manipulated anyone once (laughs) welcome to just scratching the surface of the glory of jesus in him was light and no darkness at all. There's, he's wholesome, he's safe, he's gracious, he's kind, he's compassionate. When you look at Revelation, the writer of Revelation, John, out on the island of Patmos said, his eyes burn like fire and his voice is like the sound of many rushing waters. Give me that, Jesus. John wants us to know that the work of Jesus Christ is to live the life of the kingdom of God right in front of us. He is the example. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the good shepherd. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one who was and is and is to come. He is the alpha and the omega. He is. And as Jesus, the person, comes into the earth and walks the streets and and, and heals the sick and raises the dead and forgives sins and he feeds the poor and he raises up the brokenhearted from the ash heap, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Jesus first comes 
to show us what the kingdom of God looks like, to live it in front of us. There's a second dimension that I want us to see tonight to the work of Christ, Jesus. The work of Christ is to forgive the lack of the life of the kingdom within us. He comes to live the life of the kingdom in front of us. And he also comes to forgive the lack of the life of the kingdom of God inside of us. Because I don't have it. I'm not Jesus. I don't wake up. I don't wake up always nice. Sometimes, about 30% of the time, I wake up nice. (laughs) Jesus just, Jesus is the kingdom. (laughs) And he comes to forgive the lack of the life of the kingdom within us. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. These deceivers, the false teachers who were coming to distract people and decenter Jesus, were also saying, you're fine. You're good. You, you, whatever you want to do, live your own truth. Tell your own story. Make your own meaning. Whoever you want to be, whatever you want to identify as, however you, you just do... This is not an old story. This is a very current text. These deceivers were trying to lead people away and and, and tell people that they were okay on their own. Whatever you want to be and whatever's in you is just fine and nothing needs to be addressed. And John, John the elder says, no, everything in you needs to be addressed. The work of Jesus, John, in his book, he talks about atonement, atonement, atonement for sins, forgiveness of sins, that he's come to wash you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. John says, Jesus came to live the life of the kingdom in front of us, and he came to forgive the lack of the life of the kingdom within us. Jesus came to heal us from the inside out. We don't like to talk about sin. It's kind of an old, outmoded, superstitious, all the ancients. You know, they didn't have technology and science and they weren't wise like we are. We've evolved since then and we're enlightened people and and we kind of know better and and we've got, you know, all this at our disposal. We're okay. And John says, no, you aren't. We don't like to talk about sin, but everywhere you look, you see the effects of it. You you can ignore talking about it, but you cannot ignore the consequences of sin that are right outside our doors, that are right inside these doors. The streets of Chicago right now, you see the effects of sin. What's happening in Russia and Ukraine right now, you see the effects of sin. I just heard a story, a grotesque story of something that happened just miles from here today of someone getting arrested. Just... Oh my gosh, we need the healing power of Jesus to address what is inside us that has gone amiss. And John says, Jesus came to make atonement for your sins. He came to cleanse you. He came to make you whole. He came to fill you with his spirit so that you could be like him. The work of Jesus is to come forgive the lack, the life of the kingdom within us. One of the great threats of our day is our gospel of cheap grace and unhinged self-expression. Can you put that back up on the screen again? I, I, I don't know. Cheap grace and unhinged self-expression. Live my truth and be my own God and 
feel it how I want to feel it and see what I want to be this month and see how I want to change next year and, and no one can tell me no and no one can be my God and get up off of me and don't judge me and don't, it, it, you, you stop cramping me, stop, just leave me alone. You live and I'll let you live and you let me live and, and we, we'll make our own truth, write our own story. No, it doesn't work. Let me promise you this, you do not want me expressing myself. I promise to God, you do not want me turned loose into the streets expressing myself. In this self-expression, self, you want 8 billion people to express themselves? Are you kidding me? Like, it's chaotic enough. The devil is already on the loose. We need some people to be disciplined. We need some people to repent. We need some people to get serious about following the way of Jesus. We need some people to fall on their knees in humility. Don't give me this gospel of self-expression because carry it out to its logical conclusion and turn 8 billion people crazy in the streets. Talk about hell on earth. Jesus came to say, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And I promise you, at first it might feel like you're losing your life, but I'm telling you, you will never have known what life is like until you pick up your cross and deny yourself and follow me and bless your enemies and go be out in the streets and give your money away and look people in the eye who've disgraced you and say, God be with you in Jesus' name. And you start getting a tribe of people like 2 billion, we're at like 25% of the world who's doing it right now, trying to do it, not always doing it, but saying we're trying to do it. Two billion of the eight billion, and you start to see the kingdom rush in, following the, the spirit of Jesus filling us up. You do not want me, and you do not want the world expressing itself. You don't want me saying the first thing that comes to my mind. You don't want me treating my enemies how I at first pass would want to treat my enemies. You want me constrained to obedience. You want me to be a disciple of the word of God. You want me to care for my enemies. You want me to turn the other cheek. You want me to lay my life down. You want me to be 90 years old married to that woman and being a good dad to those kids and hopefully a great grandpa and a great great grandpa. You just want me to follow Jesus. But today we've turned life into a choose-your-own-lifestyle adventure. And we've got to ask, how's that working out? But John here speaks of sin. And he speaks of confession. And he speaks about divine forgiveness. John says it's okay to just tell the truth. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The world is broken and we need the healing power of Jesus. John talks about the the ravaging consequences of sin, but he talks about confess. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. John says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Which perfectly transitions us into section three. And section three is the work of of the believer. We've got the person of Christ. We've got the work of Christ to come and live the life of the kingdom among us and to come to forgive the lack of the life of the kingdom within us. We, we see what Jesus is doing, but section three, John pivots and he starts talking to us. What's our response? If this is who Jesus is, if this is what Jesus has come to do, what is our role in this moment? He, he talks about the work of the believer and he says, but if we walk 
in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. When I don't walk in the light, I can't look you in the eyes. When I don't walk in the light, we can't be friends. When I steal from you, we can't be in the same room except the courtroom. That's what happens. When we don't walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light, we don't have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has not been able to yet cleanse us. But John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John wants us to know that the responsibility of the believer is to walk into the light and to fellowship. I, I hear stories of our men's fire teams. We've got these guys in the room that gather together on Thursday nights and they do every week and they're praying and they're honoring each other and they're reading scriptures and they're studying books and they're talking about being great men of God and for those who are married, how, how can we be good husbands? And for those who have children, how can we be good dads? And how can we be great business owners and, and contributors to our community. They're walking in the light as Jesus is in the light and they have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from sin. John says, come and walk in the light and look each other in the eyes and take care of one another and as you do, the work of Jesus cleanses you, strengthens you. Have you ever been around someone who just cannot seem to admit that they have ever once been wrong. Have you ever been around someone who cannot entertain the thought that they may have contributed to the breakdown? Oh, they, 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 they're out there. It's all out there. It's all these bad people. And if everyone could just get right like me, then the world would be okay. And I'm just trying to uphold my end of the... Have you ever been around someone who's never been wrong? It's exhausting. Have you ever been around someone who blame shifts and makes excuses for being a jerk? They may even identify that they're a jerk, but it's someone else's fault that they're a jerk. So yes, I'm a jerk, fine, I will admit that, but if you all would be nice to me. It's my third grade teacher who didn't give me the goldfish that day. <laughs> Snack time. There was not a spot on the rug where we were reading that book. Everyone else had a spot. My mom didn't scratch my back right at night. Just, just <laughs> threw me off a couple degrees. It wasn't a big deal then, but here. I'm a jerk, but it's her fault. God have mercy. Just own it. You're a jerk. I forgive you. I've been a jerk. Welcome. The devil made me do it. Or you know the person, you know, if the referee had just made the right call, I wouldn't have got thrown out of the game at my daughter's eight-year-old soccer game. Veins bobbing all her neck. They're eight. They want donuts. Capri Sun. Settle down, Pele. If they had just done the right thing, then I would do the right thing. Jesus invites us into the blessed relief of naming our own human frailty. 
John says, yeah, there's sin in the world. You know what else there is? There's forgiveness. There's cleansing. There's a man, Jesus Christ, who is God of perfect God, before all things, who decided to crash into the human story and take on flesh and live a perfect life and and be the beautiful answer to our broken humanity. And Jesus came and he took the hit and they put him in the ground and then he couldn't stay dead because he's God and he's life in himself and he ascended to the right hand and he sent his spirit to fill you so that you can stop being a jerk. So that you can say, oh, I am so sorry. You know one of the signs of someone who's deeply wise and mature is someone who repents very quickly. I try to to find things to apologize for. You know, Lisa started the fight, but I'll say I'm sorry. I've been really well trained in this. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. If you could memorize those, tattoo them on your forearm if you need to, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. No caveats, no excuses, no blame shifting, no, well, you, you said this, and shut up. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. If you just get those three phrases down, you will have a beautiful life. If you can disciple your children to get those words in them and truly mean it, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. How can I be a help? Can, how can, is there anything that I'm doing that's frustrating you? Get those words in your being and watch the world around you change. John says, Jesus has come to forgive. You need to repent. You need to humble yourselves. You need to own it. Jesus invites us into the blessed relief of naming our own human frailty. And I'll just say, you don't have to pretend to be perfect. You don't have to carry the illusion of your own omnipotence and omniscience and you've got it all together. No. And let me just say this tonight. Repentance is a joy word. I love the word repentance. And you know, the quicker you can choose it, the better. Typically people repent when they've been going like this, they've been going like this, they've been going like this, and their life is careening off the ledge and they finally go off the ledge and everything explodes and then they go, I'm sorry. What if you just like cut it off at the pass back here? Like you have that thought. God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Would you wash me clean in the blood of Jesus Christ? Would you wash me in the water of the word? Would you renew me? Would you make me simple and innocent and holy? Would you make me like Carla Willis? Light, because you just, you stay around Jesus so much that you become light. Because if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then you can look people in the eye. Then you don't have to, I, I, don't, I don't like people saying, I just had to learn the hard way. No, you didn't, you just did. You chose You do not have to. People say, I'm just hard-headed. I'm stubborn. I'm, stop. (laughs) Repent. Humble yourself. Say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Look at your tattoo on your forearm and put DG below it. DG. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. And friends, repent. Humble yourself. Jesus will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will make you righteous. And you don't have to destroy your life to run back to Jesus. If you destroy your life, come on, run back to Jesus. That's fine. One of the great hymns that I grew up singing in my house 
has this beautiful verse. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I'll say what you refuse to repent of remains with you when it could be nailed to the cross. What you refuse to repent of, envision yourself holding on to it and fighting other people. Like Jesus is going, hey, come here, come here. Can I have that? Can you just like relax a little bit and like let go of that, drop that? I'll take it. Uh, l- let me take that. Repentance is a joy word. I don't have to carry it. It can go to the cross where it belongs. It can die. It can go up there with Jesus. Jesus has already paid for it. Why am I doing this? Repentance, I'm so sorry, I was wrong. God, please forgive me. Jesus, I pray you'd help me live a long obedience in the same direction. Jesus, I pray you'd make 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8 true of me, that when I'm old, I'd be able to say I've fought the good fight, and I've run the race, and I've kept the faith. And now there's in front of me the crown of salvation, which the Lord will grant to me on that day, but not just to me, but to all those who long for his appearing. Repentance is a joy word. You can drop it now. You can let it go. What you refuse to repent of remains with you when it could be nailed to the cross. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, friends, come home tonight. Walk in the light as he is in the light. You'll have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. Can we say amen tonight, church? Would you stand with me? I want to invite our communion servers to come down. And we're going to sing this old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And when we get to that second verse, my sin, oh, the bliss, I just, let's tear the roof off tonight. And let's let this be our repentance. Let's let's let this be our coming home to Jesus tonight. Let's let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. Let's let the work of Jesus cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what I'm gonna invite you to do is as the band begins to play, you can come through, you can get your communion cup, go back to your seat, hold it there. If you're not able to come through, tap your neighbor and say, bring me an extra. They'll be happy to do that. But hold it there and let's worship the Lord and let's rip the roof off at second verse. Let's sing to Jesus.